0: He is risen. He is risen All right, now hang on just a second. Let's, let's do this again. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen or level. He is risen. He is you guys can take a seat. It's great to have you here on Easter morning. I love that you're able to spend time with us. Um, I have to confess to the media team in the booth Last night, so I, I write my sermons, as you know, I work on them nearly a year in advance, start thinking them through because I'm a researcher by nature. And uh, last night, I was practicing my message. I already have it turned in, it's already been translated, everything's ready to go for the different campuses. And literally, as I was working on it last night, God put a new word in my, in my heart. And so, uh, no slides, nothing, just. The Lord pouring through me to you, what he shared with me last night. Here's what I would love for you to do. I want to take you on the journey of literally the resurrection story. But I want to take you on this journey through the tool that they used, which is the the cross. And so um, if if you would, bear with me for a moment. I haven't even had a chance to really practice this because it's so fresh in my soul. cross. I took a class in between my masters and my doctoral work on Roman history, just kind of a one-off one out of curiosity. And I remember while I was in the class I was studying the way in which the Roman Empire asserted its authority, Pax Romana. And they developed an interesting way to basically strike fear and researched its effectiveness through 500 years of trial and error. They called their psychological warfare weapon crucifixion and it was done on what we call today a cross. For five. years hundred years they tested different variants of this. There are stories through history of them tying people upside down on a pole. There are stories in history of them trying to strip them naked and slowly bleed them out while tied to a pole. There are stories in history of people being tied to poles and put on the roads and set on fire while they were still alive to light the road while the Roman armies would march through the burning, screaming people. There are stories in history of them peeling the flesh off of their victims, hanging them on a pole and encouraging animals and birds to eat at them. 500 years they perfected psychological warfare called the crucifixion. By the time Jesus came along, this tool of conquering the psychological warfare side of it was so effective, countries and people groups would bow in fear of the Roman Empire. They had nearly total control because of this psychological Highly developed, terrifying warfare weapon. Have you ever stopped to wonder, like, how in the world did a cross become such a positive thing? I mean, people wear it around their necks. You probably have one in your house. They have it on the outside of Bibles. I mean, how many countless churches literally have at the center of it? I mean, the place you're supposed to come and find hope, at the very center of it, we have the cross. I mean, can you imagine if you'd walk in a place and have like the electric chair at the center of their worship center? How did this happen? How in the world Did the cross literally go from the perfect psychological conquering warfare weapon to the emblem of hope? How did it change? Jesus undid its reputation. You guys, I cannot tell you how big of a deal this was and still is today. He literally took the emblem, as the old song says, of suffering and shame and he remade its identity into the emblem of hope for humanity. And so we find Christ in the crucifixion story literally stripped. His flesh Heeled off the back. Strapped, pulled tight. They had mastered this weapon. Rubbing up and down against a splintered cross. Nails in his wrists, nails in his feet. Pulled tight enough, the Romans mastered this. Literally, where they would slowly suffocate to death, and to take a breath, they would have to push against the nails through their feet, push up on it. The Romans, over time, also inserted mocking, and so what would happen is they'd pull these people out slowly. Sometimes it would take days for them to die, and then people would line up and mock them and make fun of them across the tree out suffocating to death. Take Jesus. They attach him to their psychological, highly developed warfare weapon, hundreds of years putting this thing together, mastering its art. And as they stretch him out and lift him high and prepare to kill him, the mocking begins. And as his body literally shakes in pain, violently pulling against the nails and pushing up on the bottom, he takes his breath and he says out loud something nobody expected. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I can only imagine what the scene would have been like in that moment. I mean, there in that spot, this weapon hundreds of years of conquering people, and instead of like anger from the person that's dying, which was very common when you find through Tacitus, Josephus, and other historians, instead of begging for mercy, literally what Jesus does is he says, forgive them. Basically, I, I am, like he is the Lord. He is forgiving the people that are doing this to him. I mean, it's such a radical moment in our history of humanity. Literally, one of the soldiers putting him to death looks up and Surely this is the Son of God. And in that moment, the horrid strength of Rome became weaker. It was beginning to come undone. The weapon that had been so mastered of psychological warfare hundreds of years, highly developed, was beginning to lose its power. At the words, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to invite Josh up. And I want to take us from the cross to the empty grave. So we find Jesus then. And as his body dies, according to history and according to biblical accounts, the sky goes dark. An earthquake shakes the ground. I mean, there's even stories, and and, and again, I mean, how do you unpack this? There's even stories of like dead people from the past coming back to life to witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. And and then they take his body as all of this is taking place, and, and they lay it in a tomb, and they seal it under Roman guard. If you want to know how big of a deal that was, I encourage you, just look it up online, right? Like, that's a big deal, under Roman guard. Three days. Three days, three days. Three days. Not only are the followers of Jesus rattled, for three days... The priests look at the curtain that represents the distance between God and man, and it somehow was torn in two. Three days, they don't understand. Three days. People in Roman history read Roman historians, Tacitus, Josephus, others. Three days. What just happened? It's like the whole world held its breath for three days. The might of the Roman Empire began to crack three days. The psychological warfare weapon that everybody was terrified of was beginning to change its identity three days. And Mary wakes up early on the third day. Still immersed in sadness, can see it in my mind's eye. She makes her way early in the morning. I can imagine the dew on the ground. I can hear her sandals as they walk across the gravel and dirt road. At this point, she's probably out of tears to cry. She turns the corner. And the tomb is open. She can't even wrap her mind around what's happened. She looks in and she sees... These two angelic beings, right? And she's still so overwhelmed with it. It's like, what what is taking place? I mean, all of how humanity understood power, all of how humanity understood social structures, all of what humanity understood of love, everything in three days was being rewritten. And a voice calls her, she turns around. It doesn't even recognize him at first until the risen Christ says her name, Mary. And it's that aha moment. I mean, like, at that spot in her life, she doesn't have a new job, she doesn't have new clothes, she didn't all of a sudden get a great payout from an investment. Like, nothing changed externally. But in that moment, the aha moment took place place and boom it all makes sense Ah. and her worst day became her best day merely by understanding what's actually taking place and on that third day This psychological tool of death and suffering, its reputation was undone. And it became the emblem of hope. Now now hang with what does this mean? I mean, listen, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe in the Bible, you have to admit this went from a 500-year mastered art of psychological warfare to an emblem of hope. That transition happened whether you believe the stories or not. This took place. What does this mean? Well, it, 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 means, it means this. If Jesus can undo The reputation of the cross. If He can resurrect its death, its suffering, its psychological darkness and emptiness and despair, if Jesus can undo that, He can undo any brokenness in you. I mean, hear me. Jesus isn't only making the cross new. He wants to rewrite your reputation. He wants to give you a new story. He wants to pull you in to becoming also an emblem of hope. You see, Christianity isn't merely an idea to be learned. It is a love to let immerse you. And my friends, the beauty of the resurrection story is this. When you turn into the place Where all beauty comes from, he can make all things new. And that love calls to you. It calls to you. Even now, if you would, bow your heads. And I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think of the places where you bear suffering. The place where you still feel defined as a cross. You feel like your reputation How could it ever be redone? How could it ever be made new? How could it ever be transformed? You feel the weight of that. It's like the the hundreds of years of darkness that shaped the cross can be undone. All of the darkness in you can be undone. That's the promise of the empty grave. It can be undone and it calls to you. It can be undone. So I just, I just want to ask this. If there's anybody here today and you need to just renew a commitment to Christ or make a commitment to him, I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you specifically. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, in your name, want to want to ask that you would come around these people that have identified in their heart that they need that kind of love to compass them divinely go before them divinely protect them the journey is not easy but you are faithful if there's anybody here today and and, and you carry you are following Jesus but man, you just carry weight. It's, it's in you. You bear the weight. Maybe it's depression or anxiety or, or past reputation, things that you've done and you're thinking, I don't know how I can ever get untied to my old identity. If that's you and you're going, man, I just, I just need God. I need God to make new things in me. I already love him. I'm already following him. But I just need God to undo these things that still feel tied to me. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, in your name I ask. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would unbind the lies of the enemy that want to define us only by the brokenness. And God, I ask in your name that you would awaken a hope and a desire to step into love. I pray that you would open our eyes to the glorious goodness of Jesus. God, I ask in your name that you would untie what the enemy has tried to bind us to. In your name, Jesus, set hearts free. Everything changed, even the reputation of the cross, because you rose from the grave.